Welcome in to Football and Other F-Words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-Words Pod. Let's switch it up here. I just had, we had our names in the wrong spot. If you're watching on YouTube, you would have seen that. Uh, I'm joined by always Mike Herndon at Mike Herndon NFL. And I probably shouldn't say as always, because next week I will be at the Senior Bowl with Stoney Keeley of the SoBros Network. And he will be filling in for Mike on next week's show. And we're talking, and it will probably be a little bit later in the day because of how practice works out down there. But we'll be doing football under there for it's live from the glorious city of Mobile, Alabama. Some call it the next New Orleans of the South. Just saying. Uh, I'm going to be down there. People call it that. What people oh. call. Um, we, uh, uh, of course, Mike is here with me and he writes for PaulKarski.com. I write for stackingtheinbox.substack.com. Uh, you should subscribe to both. They complement and supplement each other very well. And you should also go to broadwaysportsme.com and use up the last bit of your uh, checking account and also subscribe there for things like Predators content. Now, uh, just retweeted the first Predators article of the season. Soccer content, football content, they got everything going on over at broadwaysportsme.com. And also, we are brought to you by Jaspers. Great place to go and watch the Predators to watch playoff football, specifically, you know, Sundays, two-for-ones, you need to head down there, the next evolution of Sports Bar, as the Titans are looking to do take the next step in the evolution of offense. So it's all tied together. And also, we're part of the 440 Sports Podcast Network, where Paul Karski Podcast is at. Is that what's called the PK? Is it the PKTV? Is that what, or is it I think that's right, Podcast? yeah. It's a, I listen to it. I just kind of don't know what the name of it is, actually. I actually do listen to it. Well, um, the podcast was always the Paul Kaharski podcast. Okay, okay. Um, but I don't know if he's changed the name with the new rebrand. And everything. All right. Well, we need to move your microphone a little bit closer. You, you should be a professional, and you should know this by now, because I remind you every time. You sounded you good before we went on air. But well, you forgot to remind me. So. I did, I did. I just You sounded good at the beginning. So, at paulkarski.com and at stackingtheinbox.substack.com, me and you are both writing about offensive coordinator search. So we got kind of like a uh, dueling bangers coming out on Wednesday morning. We're, we're just dueling with some bangers articles. Um, I'm going to be talking about specifically Charles London and uh, Justin Otten and uh, with their ties into the offense. Cause obviously I think Otten is not the, an offensive coordinator candidate by wording, but we'll get to that later. And you're just going to be talking about the offensive coordinator search as it sits. Please get into the comment section. Got to get in here. We'll answer some questions. We're going to be talking about um, all kinds of different things. And specifically, here's a good review. Sean James in the chat can confirm brunch at Jasper's is elite. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. All right. Mike, Rand Carthon had his presser on Friday. Now, there's a there's a lot that's been said about the presser and ever and we know all that, but we really haven't heard from you. You've been a very busy man. You've been kind of absent on Twitter. I don't think people notice, but I keep my tabs. You haven't been as talkative <laughs> as you usually are. You pr probably family stuff. You got work stuff. You got a lot going on. So, overarching thoughts about the presser, because I looked at it as what a dramatic breath of fresh air we received from not only how Carthon's personality was, how Vrabel's personality was, 
but also just the answers and stories and not just like, you know, you know, oh, well, you know, I like to go fishing, like to put my dip in my mouth and <laughs> like to like to drink my natty light when I'm talking to my son and daughters and blah, 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 while we're at the deer stand. So tell me your overall thoughts. It's a spot on uh, John Robinson. I thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. it. It's, I think it's easy to win the press conference in a lot of ways because you come out and, you know, you get to say a lot of good things and you don't have, uh, you know, the history of, of any picks or anything to be held against you at this point. Um, so I think it's easy to win the press conference initially, but I, I really liked Rand Carthon's charisma. I thought he came across really well. I liked a lot of what he had to say, especially the stuff about analytics and how they ended up on the Elijah Mitchell pick uh, and everything. What like is that. going so on behind you? I There's a, a puppy escaping oh. from uh, captivity over here. Oh, gotcha. Um, so anyways, uh, I, I I really enjoyed Rand Carthon and, uh, you know, I'm excited about him generally. Um, obviously love what the 49ers have done. Hope he's able to bring some of that magic to Tennessee. Um, but yeah, I, I like, and, and frankly, I like that he seemed a little bit more, I don't know, like personable in a way than, than John Robinson. Well, I, I put it like, uh, on Twitter, I, I said, it feels like, okay, when I, when John Robinson would talk, you're like, okay, well I could go have a beer while we're out on a boat fishing, you know, out in the lake somewhere, you know, for a few hours. But with like, Carthon, I want to go to a four-course tasting menu kind of meal that we drink like five bottles of wine and we're just having a good old time and we shut the place down because that's that's what it feels like. I mean, he's like letting you in behind the curtain, the Elijah Mitchell story, all that kind of stuff. It just It just felt like it was night and day difference and it feels like a weight had sort of been lifted also off Rabel's shoulders as well. Yeah, and I, I thought so too. I, I thought both uh, seemed a lot more relaxed than, um, you know, and, and look, again, it's a little bit easier. You're starting something fresh. Um, it's not, you don't have like the the drag of the season kind of weighing you down at this point. You know, it feels like a new beginning, um, which a lot of people want. And, and I think that's probably a good thing for the organization, but um yeah, I, I thought both of them seemed way more relaxed. I, I hope that, you know, this means Rand Carthon may be less of a, a crazy person, I think, when it comes to, like, the media and, like, keeping all the media at arm's length. Like, I, I don't know that Vrabel's ever going to be the most cuddly, uh, you know, head coach as far as media availability, how he talks to the media, that kind of thing. Um, but maybe Carthon will be a little bit more media friendly. And, and that always, I think is good for the organization. Um, yeah. I, I, I think Robinson may have been a little paranoid about, you know, trade secrets and whatnot. Uh, and, and, you know, a little too tight lipped at times when it, it was unnecessary to be that way. Well, it see, I mean, Carthon was just telling stories left and right. And, you know, talking about his dating life in college and then also talking about, you know, Elijah Mitchell, like we brought up, but also he also just specifically said, Hey, you're all going to have to get used to it. I'm a storyteller. You'll find that out about me. And, you know, I don't know if the information flowing outside the building when media is not around is going to get a little bit looser, but 
but I do think that at least when there's a microphone and a camera on him, you're going to get some really good nuggets about his process and his insight to his personal life. I think, I think for the most part, I, I don't remember really seeing anybody talk bad about the press conference or say anything in a negative light. Um, you know, I do think that Vrabel is getting a little bit, I think, looser with the media. Maybe it's not the right word, but the last few times when people have asked him questions, I think TD, um, and I want to say it was TD in the season-ending press conference. Talk, yeah, it's TD talking about the analytics and, and injuries and how they use them. And then, you know, Mike Vrabel said, you're going to have to be specific. If you guys want me to answer these questions, be specific. And then, of course, there's the famous clip. And, and you know that's something that we'll we'll talk about here in just a second. But the the clip now of Jared Stillman asking about why is Craig Arkerman still employed, and he asked for specifics. And I think that if you want a good answer out of the mindset of what Vrabel does, I think you got to start drilling down to, to specifics. If you think the run game is bad, you can't just say what kind of improvements do you guys feel you need to make in the run game. You need to say, look. Dennis Daly is one of your worst graded run blockers by PFF standards. He's done this. He's done this and he's done this. What can you all do to help improve him besides just coaching better? Because obviously he's not getting it. Something like that. Just spitball in here. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think, yeah. I, and look, Vrabel, I, mean, I, I kind of think like, I mean, he had a couple buttons undone on the shirt. He, he definitely seemed a little bit more loose and, you know, willing to, to, open up and talk about some things that I feel like he was, he has not been willing to open up and talk about previously. So now I'm looking around cause it smells like Huxley just farted. Yeah. I'm, I may have to deal with the puppy situation <laughs> uh, momentarily there. I literally jumped out of a like two foot tall crate. Um, so anyways, um, is this a new yeah. puppy? Yes. It oh, is what kind puppy. of new puppy? You know, it's Huxley's birthday today, by the way, you, I noticed you didn't wish him a happy birthday, but um oh look at this what, what's his name it's a birdie birdie yeah birdie and it looks like a R rottweiler mix no I, I, we have no idea we got it from the humane uh humane society or whatever humane shelter in ten or in uh, nashville so nice well anyway enough pock puppy talk but i want to get your thoughts on this ackerman question because it's the only person obviously talking about it in a serious fashion is Stillman and everybody else is just kind of making fun of Stillman for it. But what do you think about John or uh, Mike Vrabel's answers to that question? Because it, uh, this Ackerman thing has been going on for years is, are they really convinced that Ackerman is this great coach and that everybody that he employs and gets on his special teams just sucks? Yeah. I, you know, the Ackerman thing is, is strange for me in a way because I mean you see the the ranking come out I think it's from uh, Rich Goslin that does it every year and he's like one of the guys that uh, actually tracks special teams and things like that and knows what he's talking about and he had he put his rankings out uh, I think in the last week or so and the Titans were 14th in special teams performance this year which is fine um you know a little above average not much um but what I would like to know on that would be like how much of that was Ryan Stonehouse just kicking the piss out of the ball um, for, for the whole season. Um, how much of that performance by your rookie punter was baked into that? Cause I don't know that you can necessarily give 
Aukerman a ton of credit for Stonehouse's uh, performance because Stonehouse was the NCAA career punting average leader, and that this is just what he does is is just he just kicks piss missiles, uh, and so I, I think it's hard to separate that sometimes. But I, I don't think special teams were horrible this year. Um, on the whole, I, I thought they were okay. I thought Hassan Askins was actually pretty good in the kick return game for the most part. Um, the punt return stuff still sucks. And I, I think it was kind of uh, enlightening when Mike Vrabel said, well, we thought we drafted one in Kyle Phillips and you see him come out and make this you know long return in week one. And then he has the muff issue and then he hurts the shoulder and that creates another muff issue. Uh, and then obviously he never ended up returning to that role. Um, but I think it tells you they, they kind of viewed Kyle Phillips as the answer there heading into the season. And that was like probably a big part of why he was actually drafted uh, more so than, than his ability as a receiver. So I, that's kind of interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that you can necessarily fault Ackerman for the fact that they're the guy that they planned on having return punts was hurt all year, basically. And, you know, they struggled to find other people who could catch the ball. Cause I think, I think Rabel's right about the thing where he says, you know, we catch the balls off the jugs machines more than anybody. Like we're, we're, we're constantly sending them out there. I know what the process is. Um, and we can only, and that's the thing that I always struggle with, with coaches and how you evaluate them as a, someone who is not inside the building is, we see the results, but we do not see the process. And there are there is certainly a possibility that there is good process and bad results because that happens. We see that happen, you know, a lot of times. And there's also, you know, the, the vice versa can be true. So I struggle sometimes with that. Now I, I don't think Ackerman's done a great job by any means. I think he's at best average as a special teams coordinator. Um and probably a little bit below average, but I also don't think he's been particularly dreadful. Like I, I feel like he was his special teams units were better than Todd Downing's offense. Now that's super low bar. Um, but if if we're you know looking at who should be fired, I definitely think there's the case for keeping Ackerman is that hey, the special teams were okay this year. Um, you know, and and we've got some good young pieces that that we feel like are trending in a good direction on that, you know, phase of the game. It's interesting because you know, he's been around the entirety well, except for one year, the entirety of John Robinson's career, right? So, like, from 2017 to tw now, he's been there. So, the only constant between these dreadful special teams is John Robinson and Craig Ackerman. So, now John Robinson's gone, and if Rand does what he is told to do, or was, uh, I guess, told's probably not the right word, but the, the, mess the, the mission he was given was to find a punt returner, find a kick returner. If he does that and special team still sucks, where can Ackerman hide? So it's almost like one of two things is going to happen. Everybody's going to get their wish and Ackerman's going to get fired after this year at some, maybe, you know, at some point at, you know, heading into 2024 or it was all the players and it just happens to be that John Robinson was this issue all along and he was the one holding Craig Ackerman back. I mean, at this point, because I mean, who's in charge of getting the kickers, right? Craig Ackerman. Who's in charge of get, or sorry, right. uh, John Robinson? Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's in charge of you know make drafting players or finding the returners? It would be again John Robinson. So if the process is good and the results are bad, 
then it, you would think that the people that are performing the process are the ones that have the issues. We'll see. I think this is a good question. And the question I really, to transition us into maybe some NFL playoffs talk and how the Rand Carthon presser ties into that. I, I, I thought this was a good question by Ed Henry. He's And it's not a question I've heard anybody talk about or a question that I've seen anybody ask. So this is really good by Ed Henry, who we're still not convinced is not related to Derrick Henry. Who's had or has has it harder? Did J-Rob have it harder when he started? Or did Carthon now have it harder? And here's how I view this. John Robinson had the worst roster to turn into in the NFL when he when he took over. But the expectations were kind of really low, right? Now... Carthon steps in with a better roster than what John Robinson has coming from San Francisco, a high pedigree of competitiveness. Now, but now you have winning records outside of this last one, and now your expectations are higher. So like Carthon's expectations are way higher than initial expectations are than John Robinson. So I would almost, I still think though, the job of general manager, I think John Robinson had it harder. I think it's it's really tough because you're right about the expectations. I, I think this is a more talented team than the one that, that John Robinson took over. However, it's also in a worse cap position uh, than the team that, that Robinson took over because you do have guys on expensive contracts. Now, that's a very, very short-term problem. That That is just a 2023 problem. I've talked about this a good bit this offseason already. That's, that's just a uh, February problem at this point. Basically, basically. Because, <laughs> yeah, once the, once you release the guys that we kind of know are getting released, you know, Zach Cunningham, Bud Dupree, um, you know, Taylor Lewan, and and maybe Robert Woods. Um, I, I still think probably Robert Woods, but we'll see. Yeah, um, I'm I'm with you. I'm not entirely sold that Robert Woods is gone. I think yeah. his money changes, but I'm not entirely sold that he's gone. Well, the problem with it, moving on from Robert Woods, while I don't think he's very good, um, or he wasn't very good this year, he they've got to have a veteran in that room. Like Traylon Burks is not ready to be the old head in the wide receiver room. You know, he is uh, still trying to figure things out. And having Woods around for the whole offseason, I think, would probably be beneficial. I also um, hate to get off on a Woods tangent, but unlike Bud Dupree, who came back from ACL injury, at least Robert Woods stayed healthy all year. Stayed on the field. So now you're going to have a year removed from it and probably a little bit more determination. And like you said, a veteran presence. But guess who scouted a lot of Robert Woods's games because he played against them twice a year? And that's Rand Carthon. And I think how Rand Carthon handles Robert Woods should be a sign of how much they believe him and Vrabel believe that Robert Woods last year is all injury related and probably scheme related too, or offensive so was, coordinator related. Was, was Carthon on the Ram staff when they brought Robert Woods in? Uh, no, no. He, um, it was 2017. He would have just left. But what I'm saying is his yeah. job, Carthon's job specifically for the 49ers was to bring the coaching staff, the opposition, um, film so he would help scout them help scout the opponent tell them about film show find tendencies and talk about certain players so when they would play against the rams he would do that every time yeah i think um yeah i, I definitely think he'll know robert woods well and look robert woods is fine if he's your third receiver right i mean like i i don't have any issue with that they should try like hell 
to either draft or sign or both or trade um, for a, a legitimate second wide receiver uh, to go with Burks. And, and then if you've got Robert Woods and Kyle Phillips as your three, four and racing McMath as your five, whatever, I, I'm totally happy with that um, as a wide receiver room uh, heading into next year, especially, you know, if Chig takes the next step at tight end and maybe you get another guy in there, whether it's Hooper coming back or, uh, someone else to kind of help it at tight end as well and be able to run some of that 12 personnel stuff. That's fine. That, that'll work. So I don't, I don't, I, I, you're right about, I don't think Woods necessarily has to go, but you know, back people to are the, tired of hearing about Woods or seeing Woods based on this past season. But I also think if you look at the entirety of his career, this season would be the outlier coming off injury. Todd Downing yeah. is your offensive coordinator. The offensive line is shitty. It's going to be really hard for him to look good with all that. Now, doesn't like you said, he's not a wide receiver one. He's not a, and he's a borderline wide receiver too. He's at least reliable, but probably his best shot at sticking to a roster, no matter where he goes, is going to be kind of like that slot wide receiver that can also play outside uh, here and there. Not not like what he, the role he was forced into this year. Exactly. I I think that's kind of what where they need to go with him. But it's regardless, once they cut the guys that they're going to cut this offseason, restructure Ryan Tannehill, whatever, they'll have cap space to operate. And, and you know, I think they can pretty easily get to $40 million or so um, of cap room, which goes a long way when you look at like backloading contracts and things like that. Um, so I think they can make some splashes. They can rebuild this offensive line. They can do that kind of thing that they need to do. Um, you know, they could, depending on what they want to do at quarterback, they could go, you know, get Tom Brady or or whatever. Like they're not going to be totally hamstrung uh, from a cap standpoint, but Robinson didn't have to make those cuts right away. And he, he had a lot of cap space to work with that, that first off season. And he also had the number one overall pick that he inherited coming in. So he was able to jumpstart that rebuild with that trade back and everything and getting all that draft capital. And, and that became like the foundation for that next phase of, of the franchise. Um, so I really think Carthon may have it harder than John Robinson. When you look back in all, all everything included as far as like cap position, draft position, um, you know, what the roster makeup is and everything. I think maybe Carthon has a little bit tougher, although he's coming in with a better coach, much better coach. Yeah. So there's a lot like, there's a lot on both sides of the ledger there, uh, I think. So it maybe it balances out at the end of the day, but uh, it's close. It's close. Okay, so Rand Carthon said a lot, and so did Mike Vrabel, that alluded to basically stuff that we saw come to fruition in the NFL playoffs. Getting faster, getting more physical players, getting players that are available that are tough. Um, saw that at multiple levels. I mean, you saw Patrick Mahomes try to fight through and play through an injury. You saw the uh, Bengals. Basically, they were doing whatever they wanted. They were being multiple in their offensive looks. They were being creative in the run game while also getting in a wide receivers open. And then, you know, we talked about the efficiency of the run game that they are both craving. That You know, not necessarily a run-first mentality, a balanced offense that has an efficient run game that can last you all year. And you saw the Bengals have that, and the Bills didn't. And then you look on the flip side. I mean, everybody on the Eagles team is fast and physical as hell. And then 
49ers versus Cowboys, those defenses were flying around everywhere. So what are some other takeaways, or if, even if you want to talk about those, that you feel that, okay, I heard Rand Carthon say this. I heard Mike Vrabel say this. I know they're going to put it in action. But what did I see about their message about where the state of the NFL is at this point in time? I think the the run the run comments and things about you know hey we we believe that you have to be able to run the football. I I think it's you got to take it as it is, right? I mean, these are this is a, a GM who is coming from an organization who has run the ball as well as anybody over the past five years. Um, in the 49ers they are currently one game away from the Super Bowl with a seventh round rookie quarterback because they can run the football really well and they play great defense so I think Carthon truly believes hey it's a lot easier to win football games if you can run the football and be physical and that's look I think there's really two ways to win in the NFL I think there's one way is you have an alien quarterback like Patrick Mahomes who you can put on his shoulders whatever you want and say, hey, buddy, go win us the game because you're Superman. That's that's one way to win. The other way to win is to play some defense, be able to run the football, be able to make play action, explosive plays off of that. That's a, that's a viable way to win. You can win games like that. Both the Eagles and the 49ers, frankly, use that approach. I mean, Jalen Hurts has been excellent this year, but part of the reason he's been excellent is that they run the ball really, really well. He's a part of that, but they run the ball really, really well. They protect him, and then they have great playmakers on the outside, which is the same formula the 49ers are using with Purdy. Um, so to me, both both paths are viable to winning a lot of football games. Now, you could say it's a lot harder to win a Super Bowl without the Superman quarterback, and I would agree with you, but it's also a lot harder to find the Superman quarterback because how many quarterbacks would you currently place in that tier? Mahomes, Burrow, Allen. Yeah, and Allen's really kind of like on the outside. Yeah. Maybe this year was just injury and and all that kind of stuff. But it seems to me that you know I'll ask you this question here in a second. But it seems to me he's uh, the lock of Allen winning a Super Bowl is not the lock that everybody thought it would be. For sure, and I I think yeah we can get further into Allen here in a minute. But it's because I think there's a lot to talk about with him right now. Um. And then maybe like, maybe you say Justin Herbert, maybe like, you know, Trevor Lawrence coming up. I know, I know you don't. You can't, you can't fool me. I'm and not, you used to I'm not, and now you're kind of like teetering like, oh, maybe I'm not, I'm not ready to put him there. I, I think the flashes are still really impressive. So I, I, I think it, he's kind of on a trajectory that makes you think he could go one of two ways. Like, and, and I did this like tears thing, quarterback tears thing. And, you know, you've got like, the superstars, I think he could get there. Uh, I think he's got the talent to get there. We'll see. You know, all the other stuff has to come together. He has, he's got to stop making the bonehead plays. He's kind of he's kind of close to what Josh Allen was, I feel like, when he was in his first, you know, year or two. You know, he's probably better than Allen was even in year two. Um, but I, I kind of view them as similar players in a way. Like, Allen's more physical as a runner, but they're both good runners. Um, but they both have these like just head scratching bonehead turnover plays that keep popping up. Um, but they also make some really wild plays and like great throws and incredible plays that kind of make up for it. So 
to me, Allen and Lawrence, I could see a trajectory where, where Lawrence ends up as, as like a Josh Allen kind of player. Um, I could also see him end up more of a mediocre, like that fluffy middle ground of everything from like Dak Prescott to Ryan Tannehill to Derek Carr to Kirk Cousins, like where most of the NFL lives. Um, I could see him landing in that tier too. So I don't, I don't think it's decided on Lawrence. It used to be the means. Dalton line, you yeah. know, and now it's like, it's gone from a line to almost there is just this entire square. It's like the Dalton yeah. square, the, the Kirk Cousins square of just a bunch of quarterbacks that fall into that square. And it, it's wild. I want to let's 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 talk about let's take a sidestep to the Allen conversation. Do you think that Josh Allen and Sean McDermott are going to be like Tony Dungy and Peyton Manning, where everybody has patience and continues to have patience in today's NFL? and they're going to get like 10 or 12 years, and then they finally win a Super Bowl? Or do you think it's going to be like Andy Reid and Don McNabb, where it's a bunch of years of almost, 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 almost? Like, where do you where do you side on this Josh Allen-Sean McDermott marriage? So I think it's important to include them both. I think people who just say, well, Josh Allen will never win a Super Bowl. Well, does that mean that Sean McDermott's never going to win a Super Bowl, or is he getting rid of Josh Allen and suddenly going to win a Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I can't imagine them moving on from Josh Allen, not with the contract they just gave him and everything like that. Yeah, I think they'd sooner yeah, fire sure. McDermott um, and try to bring in an offensive coach to to help Allen reach, you know, new heights or whatever. But look, Allen's been really good. I, I don't I don't know that it's necessarily all on him. Um, although sometimes his I think his penchant for just having these dumb games where he just like it gets in these modes where I don't know if it's hero ball or whatever, but he makes some just terrible decisions sometimes and puts the ball in harm's way and things like that. And when you've got to win at least three, if not, or at least, yeah, at least three, if not four, most teams have to win four games to win a Super Bowl in a row uh, against the best competition. It's hard when you've got like this propensity to have a bad game and the way that the bills are built, they are built on like, Josh Allen has to win us the game every game. Like he, it is on him because they don't have the running game. Like Rand Carthon, uh, you know, talked about. It's a lot easier when you can run the football in January. The Bills can't run the football. They they've never been able to run the football. Uh, and they don't even regime. care to. Even yeah, though I will say try. this, they invested this high draft pick in James Cook, and it took forever for him to find the field. And then they are still trying to split him with like two or three other guys when they should just be relying on James Cook and one other guy. Yeah, and, and like, look, they they tried to go out, like, and Titans fans, like, Roger Saffold was absolutely abysmal for them this year. Like, the Bills fans hate Roger Saffold. Um, so it it is, they've tried to go out and, like, get guys to help with that identity and stuff like that. And I think Questenberry was another one that they hoped, you know, well, he's graded out really well as a run blocker. You know, maybe he can help us learn how to run the ball here. Uh, it just didn't work, and it, it hasn't worked for whatever reason. Um, and so their inability to run the ball continues to bite them. And so, to me, they're coming up on some issues here because the cap is getting tight with Allen's contract hitting uh, you know, the big money now. They are going to be very hard-pressed to keep this core uh around a whole lot longer and like guys like Gabe Davis and stuff like that which by the way Gabe Davis did not have a very good year overall I mean he has moments and things like that it seems like he's just wildly inconsistent um but 
their inability to have like a number two behind Diggs is a problem too. Um, like as a true second threat, because Davis just isn't it right now. Um, so I don't know that they're going to be better next year. I, I honestly think they're more poised to take a step back. And to me, they've got the longest road to go out of, you know, KC, Cincinnati and Buffalo, who are like the clear class of the ASC at the moment. Like it, this is a Cincinnati, Kansas City show for the next, you know, two years, I think, in, in my opinion, in the AFC. Yeah, kind of like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and then like Philip Rivers slash Ben Roethlisberger is uh, over here, Josh Allen. In 10 years, so 10 more years, okay, Josh Allen will have won how many Super Bowls? Zero or one. I, yeah. I think I think maybe he wins one. Uh, I think he's really talented. I just, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to get there or not. Um. Well, since we're talking about other quarterbacks, I want to talk about a few quarterbacks that are on that are on the radar right now as for for Titans fans, and maybe not anymore when it comes to the case of um, Aaron Rodgers, who today people think that it's going to take at least two first round picks for the Packers to part way with Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, any smart Titans fan would read that and say, hell no, we're st- definitely staying away. But if that's the asking price, then the the legitimate settling of draft picks, right? Because obviously they'll take less. Seems like it will still be too high for a guy that's getting paid a lot, guaranteed a lot, and could retire at any moment on your team and leave you holding the bag. and. Is what is a draft pick compensation for you, Mike? If you're the Tennessee Titans, what do you think? What draft pick would you give up for Aaron Rodgers, knowing that this team is where it's at, right? And if the house finishes before the season finishes next year that he's building, how likely is he going to retire on your ass if things are not going well? Yeah, I mean, look, I. To me, I would make Tom Brady tell me no before I'd even consider trading for Rodgers. Because if you could get Brady for zero draft picks, um, and probably and considerably less money too. I mean, Brady for sure will sign some sort of team friendly deal. He's always done it. I, I can't imagine that changing now. Um, although you know, now that he's he's uh, well, he he probably is getting alimony from uh, Giselle, uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it. I just cannot see the Titans trading a first round pick for Roger. Like, I feel like even one first would be really hard for me to stomach given. I mean, is this team going to win the Super Bowl next year? I mean, if you plugged Rogers into it, I mean, you'd, you'd still have to do a ton of rebuilding on the offensive line. You'd be taking a massive cap hit or having to move around a ton of money. Um, I just, I, yeah, I, I struggle to see the Titans winning a Super Bowl in the next two years with Aaron Rodgers, given what they're going to have to do to the cap to try to get him in. I mean, they, they, it's not like they'd be able to rebuild the offensive line and get Aaron Rodgers, at least not with high-quality players. You'd, you'd have to get, you know, four or five million dollar per year type of guys plugged in across the offensive line. Let me Okay, so, you know, the, all this Aaron Rodgers talk, and, and this is not to say that Aaron Rodgers at one point was the best NFL quarterback of a generation, talent-wise, right? 
because that's what matters. That's what I say when he's one of the best. He's probably one of the best passers outside of Patrick Mahomes that the NFL will see, and Joe Burrow will probably creep his way and go past Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady's a winner. Aaron Rodgers is a fucking quarterback. If this is it for Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay will have ended up with 31, 31 consecutive years of Hall of Fame quarterback play with Favre and Rodgers. 31. Three Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl wins in 31 years. Patrick Mahomes, for example, you talk about alien quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes is playing for his third Super Bowl appearance and second Super Bowl win this season, fifth season as a starter. As great as Aaron Rodgers is, Patrick Mahomes is on another, potentially another level, and Joe Burrow will be too. So this idea that Aaron Rodgers, with all that said, is coming in here and taking this team to the Super Bowl, I don't believe it. Yeah, now, not, not in this conference. No. Not in this conference. I think Tom Brady had, had while his season was pretty low, I think he checked out like halfway point of this season with Tampa Bay. I think he just checked out. I think he's done. I don't think he likes Todd Bowles. I don't think he likes Byron Leftwich. All that said, I think Tom Brady gives his team a better chance to win a Super Bowl than Aaron Rodgers. What are your thoughts? I do. I mean, because look, I mean, if no other reason, then you'll have the 11th overall pick plus uh, Tom Brady plus some extra money uh, to build with. So, yeah, I, I definitely think Brady gives them a better chance to win in 2020. I, I honestly, to me, if they if their goal is to win in 2023 and maybe not win the Super Bowl, but win the division, you know, compete, try to try to make some noise. You never know. Maybe an injury or something happens. And you get get a good path and and, you know, get to the Super Bowl, whatever. I think Brady gives them the best chance of any quarterback that is realistically available to them. Now, my question is, does Brady want to be here? I just don't think he... I, I can't imagine. And, and I know, and listen, it's going to sound like, I think with the options that you got, right? When you're looking at this is like when Tampa Bay and Tennessee and all these places were the first go around. And I kept telling people Tampa Bay is a better destination than Alabama for Tom Brady. I kept saying it. I kept saying it. I was told I was crazy. Did I say Alabama? I meant Tennessee. Uh, But either either way, it's still better. It's still better destination. Better than Alabama too. Uh, I, I kept saying it, and in the end, San Francisco or Las Vegas are better destinations, and I would argue probably the Jets are better destinations than Tennessee. I think it's the fourth best destination of places that Tom Brady would consider. And so in my mind, it's not because of the state of the team currently. It's what the state of the team can potentially be. The max level of what the team can be for the Tennessee Titans is not the max level of the the ceilings of these other teams. I understand this team that we see right now is not going to be the Tennessee Titans that Tom Brady would be eventually starting week one with. But these other teams are at such a higher level roster-wise where all they're missing is a quarterback, essentially, that... They get Tom Brady, they still have draft picks, and they're able to improve in free agency. They're just at a different level, and it's just like how Tampa Bay was. And I think this would be a fourth option. I don't put much into 
the relationships of the coaches as much as I do who's going to help me not have a disgraceful Minnesota Vikings like end Brett Favre into my seat, my career. Yeah. And I, I just mean, don't think Tennessee can provide that. I don't either. Cause I, I kind of feel like if you brought Brady in, I, I feel like dealing with a bunch of young wide receivers, a bunch of young tight ends, uh, an offensive line that is currently just one big question mark. Um, what is appealing about, about, playing here i mean uh, besides brable to me and this is where i'm at like if brady ends up coming here it is 100 purely because of brable it is for no other reason uh than just he really wants to hang out with his buddy mike every day on the practice field and compete with him and whatever um and i just don't think that that's going to be what what he chooses to do because to me i think brady all he is about is winning super bowls that that is all he wants to do is win what would be his eighth uh he's just going to go to the place that gives him the best chance to win an eighth super bowl he he is 40 what gonna be 46 years old he is not out here to mess around and just have fun at this point it is purely about winning and continuing to build his you know already ridiculous legacy um listen he wants i'm gonna tell y'all right now he wants to go to a place where he's going to win three more Super Bowls. He wants to get to ten. I could just feel it. He just no, yeah. I mean that that would be yeah. Uh, I, that would be my goal if I was yeah. him, and I was still playing well, which he is still playing okay. I think he's still a decent enough quarterback. Um, I I just don't think I don't think Todd ba- Todd Bowles is. I think he's very Mike Zimmer asking how he wants to run an offense, and I think that once Bruce Arians is gone. And I think Byron left, which was kind of like, oh, crap, I got to do this entirely new offense. It doesn't really, you know, suit anybody's needs because I have a defensive head coach that wants to run the ball. And I think I just think that it wasn't a good marriage of offensive coordinator and head coach. And I think the offensive coordinator, much like the Minnesota Vikings under Mike Zimmer, was the scapegoat. And I think Brady in the end, if he thought that, okay, well, Todd, Todd is here. Okay, I believe in Todd. He's a good head coach, and I think he's going to find the right offensive coordinator. I think he would stay in Tampa, but at this point, I don't think that he thinks that, and I think that's why he's got his eyes set elsewhere because he wants to win. He thinks he can go somewhere, and he quite possibly could go somewhere in the AFC or San Francisco and immediately get paid dividends as far as getting a Super Bowl. And I just don't think the Titans is that is that team. And that's okay. And, it's not a knock on the Titans. I just don't think it's a good fit. And the, but would the other, I love it? I would love it. The other failure with the Bucks, of course, is they could not run the ball for shit. Uh, and they just gave up running the ball about midseason and, you know, just said, all right, Brady, just throw it as many times as you want. Um, and that's just not as good as Brady is, as good as the weapons are in Tampa Bay. Not a sustainable way to build an offense, again, without an alien quarterback, which Brady's still very good, but he's not one of these guys that, you know, that are in yeah. their primes right now. Uh, he's not the alien that he once was. He could still right. do a lot. He's more of a, he could still make throws down the field. We saw it with Mike Evans versus Carolina. We've seen it with, uh, he could still make tight window throws. I mean, Chris Godwin dropped a, a shit ton against uh, Dallas when they played. So, I mean, he can still make throws and there, it's just, he's at that age where, yeah, he's still better than most of quarterbacks in the league. But for him to really be locked in and be Tom Brady, a lot's got to be going right around him right now. 
because he, I think he just legit just checked out. I think he just checked out this season. I don't think his heart was in it whatsoever. And I, it kind of felt like when he was playing for the Patriots at the tail end, you could just kind of tell like, eh, he's leaving. He's out of there. And he, he's out, out of that place. Uh, I, I think let's go into a little bit of the offensive coordinator talk because we're, we're both in the midst of talking about offensive coordinators and, and all this stuff. Um, have Last week, we kind of leaned that they're still going to stick with this Shanahan-style West Coast offense. Has anything changed between now and then for how you view this offensive scheme heading into 2023? You know, there was, uh, I think it was, Jeremy Fowler went on um, 104.5. I think it was the the morning show um, uh, on 104.5 this week and said, you know, talked about the Nagy and uh, the enemy interest for the Titans. And, and the quote that he had was that Brable is fascinated with the Chiefs offense, um, which is interesting because that's very different. Uh, style of offense than what what the Titans run and and have run. So to me that is interesting. And even Fowler mentioned, you know, I don't know if that's because he wants to hire one of these guys and implement that offense, or if he just wants to borrow some ideas uh, from Kansas City and and try to fold that in with what the Titans are already doing. Um, but it is very interesting that that was the way he phrased that. Now. I still tend to think we're going to end up seeing somebody that comes from the Shanahan tree because, again, unless you have an alien quarterback, this this offensive scheme I think gives you the best chance to win. Um, and and just to put like to go back to the alien quarterback thing for just a second, if we say like maybe four or five tops are currently existing in the league right now, and that comes out of the, like the last say fifteen to twenty drafts. You're talking about one guy in every, what, three or four drafts yeah. uh, is going to turn out on average to be to be that guy. So the idea that you're just going to like land on this guy and, and suddenly you're, you've got your next 10, 15 years fixed is, you know, it's very difficult. I mean, it's almost one of those things where you have to plan to not have that guy. Uh, and if you find him, then that changes everything, and you're lucky. I throw out what I think is a uh, a strategy that will give you more hits than misses when you talk about drafting a quarterback. So, obviously, you're going to have a lot of hits and misses by continually trying to to chase after the Patrick Mahomes, right? Yeah. What you need to be finding is a quarterback that, with the presented data, will fit your system. Okay, that is that may not be the number one quarterback, but he may be a Jalen Hurts or to a crazier extent a Brock Purdy, which will hardly ever happen. But someone that's draftable in the second round, Andy Dalton, Derek Carr, you know, second or third, right? That has the aptitude to process at a high level the game of the NFL. And then you build around that quarterback. You're almost building a diet Tom Brady or someone like Jalen Hurts, where you build around the quarterback, but you got to do it quickly, right? Derek Carr, it took too long to build around Derek Carr, you know, to start, you know, they go out and get weapons and all this stuff. It took too long to get to Derek Carr. The Titans didn't move fast enough with Marcus. I know that's a first-round pick. But, um, you know, even Lamar Jackson, where they traded up into the first round to get him, they're not really building around him quick enough. 
I feel like if you get one of those guys, like I think about a guy like Tanner McKee, who can make all the NFL level throws, who was in a pro style offense, who has fast processing, he can make, he's got the arm, but he was given shit talent to work with in Stanford. If you feel that if I, okay, I can draft this guy in the third round and we can build around him because of his particular skill set, we got to do it quick. The problem with the Malik Willis thing, and a lot of people think I'm giving, he just can't mentally process the game. And I think that's the most important thing. If you're looking for maybe not sustainable or really alien quarterback play, I think the best thing to do is to continually probably spend third or fourth round picks on quarterbacks until you find one. This is a super horns idea. And I kind of agree with it, until you find one that can mentally process the game at a high level. That you can that you feel comfortable. Okay, after this year, we're cutting Ryan Tannehill. We could build around X quarterback and from this draft, and we're going to be able to sustain some success until we find the alien. Yeah, no, I think that's viable. Um, I definitely think that's viable, but I, I do think like the Shanahan offense, like getting back to the offensive coordinator uh, talk, was is the it's the ideal offense for a team that that does not have an alien quarterback that is just a normal offense you know <laughs> that you're going to need the running backs you're going to need the playmakers to be able to make plays because it it is you know in a sense it is designed to make life easier on the quarterback um and i, I think you saw the success that it had with ryan Tannehill um in 2019 and 2020 um, and obviously it, it fell off the last couple of years as the supporting cast around Tannehill eroded as did the play calling. Um, but I don't, I'm not opposed to sticking with this offense. I, I think it is a good structure. I think a lot of teams run it at a high level. It can be successful when you have good personnel and good, uh, coaching around it. So, um, finding someone who can install it and knows it well, uh, is, is critical. And that's what, like, in a lot of the guys that they're talking to have backgrounds in this. I mean, you're, you're talking about the, you know, like you said, Justin Alton uh, and, and Charles London specifically two guys that they've been connected to. Those guys have Shanahan roots. Those, that is the, the style of offense that they are based out of. Um, and, and what's interesting is that Mike Vrabel specifically talks about offensive coordinators and coaches that, are multiple and not married to really one scheme. It's almost like he wants to have a guy that can coach a bunch of different schemes. And spoiler alert for the people that are subscribing to um, stackingtheinbox.substack.com, tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning's article is about, uh, obviously, Charles London. I, I'm telling you right now, the more research I've done on Charles London, the more I think he's the guy. When you listen to the words used by... Arthur Smith to describe him, his own words to describe himself and why he's now went from running back coach to quarterback coach. When you look at the systems he's come from and he's been around, like Arthur Smith has been through so many regimes of the Tennessee Titans, right? When he went and took over for the Atlanta Falcons, he has a massive Rolodex of coaches. I mean, you're talking about like, you know, coaches that coached under Mike Munchak, under Mike Malarkey, under Ken Wisenhunt, under Mike Vrabel has this huge Rolodex of coaches. And he goes and specifically seeks out Charles London, who was the offensive quality control coach for the Tennessee Titans, while Arthur Smith was defensive quality control coach. Arthur Smith from UNC 
Duke, uh, uh, Charles London's a Duke grad. They spent months before players even arrived in 2011, Mike Munchak's first year. They spent months in a broom closet office, like just them two. And he went and talked to this guy. And there's so much more I'm going to give to you. But what you need to know, Bill O'Brien, Matt Nagy, Arthur Smith are all the people that he's learned under extensively. That's three different styles of offense. And if you're the Tennessee Titans and you're and Mike Vrabel specifically says, I'm looking for people or looking for coaches that are not married to one system that are versatile and multiple, that's the guy out of all the guys, in my opinion, that meets all that criteria. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do think there's something to, you know, it seems like they want to find somebody who speaks the language to some degree, like outside of the chiefs guys, the chief let, let, set aside the chiefs guys for a minute, the Charles London and Justin Outen, both what they have in common is Outen coached under the floor in green Bay. Uh, London coached uh, under Arthur Smith, obviously the last two years in Atlanta. Those are both former Titans offensive coordinators that are going to generally use similar language. And and I think it seems to me that they're wanting someone who's going to come in and use a similar language. And, you know, it makes sense for them to talk to these guys because, hey, they are familiar with what we already do. We speak the same language. There's not going to be this huge shift of like, oh, well, we're calling this that now and that that's this. And, you know, there's there's less of that uh kind of culture shock or not even culture shock but just like language barrier i guess when it comes to this guy coming in and trying to implement new ideas or or whatever install the offense in training camp uh if they come in speaking the same languages as what the titans have known now for the entirety of the Vrabel era because they this is the same offense now results are different and you know little details may be different but this is the same offense that Matt LaFleur installed in 2018. It is, they have not changed the bones of the offense, the language of the offense, any of that stuff. It is still based on that initial uh, LaFleur offense. So it, it makes sense that those two guys are linked to them. And um, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if one of those two guys ended up being the guy that they choose. I, I really do think it's Charles London. And I think we'll know, I think we'll, no matter what, we'll know the offensive coordinator by this weekend because January 28th, I don't think that's the same day. But anyway, the Saturday before Senior Bowl week started is when they announced Todd Downing. And then Senior Bowl week started and Todd Downing was down there. I think that's going to be the same thing. And if they were to announce Charles London, there's no one with a better inside track on the draftees than Charles London, who will be the offensive coordinator and play caller specifically for the American team down in Mobile. So... It'll be a good little in if that's the case. I do think it's like if I were a betting man, I'm betting that's Charles London. And if I were uh, also a betting man, I would almost say that it still could be Justin Alton as an offensive line run game coordinator if he doesn't get an offensive coordinator position elsewhere. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it does seem like he's interviewing several other spots. I think he's and there's only one Baltimore. offensive coordinator position that he's been interviewed for. Everything else is said as a position on the offensive staff, which is, yeah. It's, and that's what they, they said for the Titans as well, which is hard to parse because, you know, Alton you know, does have the uh, offensive line background. So it could have been an offensive line uh, coach position that they interviewed him for, or they could have just interviewed him for, you know, 
just generally and decide where they want to offer him if they do offer him. Um, so uh, it's it'll be interesting to see where they go with the hire. But yeah, I, I do think I do think there's probably a good chance that there's other names out there that we have not heard yet. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if like the 49ers passing game coordinator. I think it's Slowick. Oh yeah. Um, now you're, be, uh, you're getting me you all know, riled up on this podcast. That that would be a guy that maybe they want to talk to, but you know, they can't talk to him until the 49ers are eliminated or I guess until the, that off week between the, the yeah, after, uh, January 30th interviews for the teams currently in the championship and Super Bowl will be able to uh, be broached again yeah. for second interviews or whatever. Yeah, so it wouldn't surprise me if they're waiting on him or if they're waiting on um, uh, Brian Johnson, uh, the uh, Eagles quarterback coach. Uh, that's that's kind of a hot. Seems name like there's some people right that they must be waiting on besides Bienemy and Matt Nagy, in my opinion. I mean, that's that's the only thing that I can think of for why this is dragging out as long as it is, because it it seems to me like I mean, and I think somebody in the comments mentioned, uh, you know, if it was going to be Kelly as. Uh, Ed in the comments, if it was going to be Kelly, wouldn't it have been announced already? Maybe. I mean, I, it seems to me it's. I don't think it's Kelly. I, I don't think it's going to be Kelly either, honestly. Um, I feel like they're wanting to get a little bit of a fresh start on this thing. Um, I just also and, don't think he's the, as good as what I kind of built up in my head when I started diving into it. And he's horrible at designing an effective and efficient run game when he was well, offensive coordinator. And the another thing is, I know people are well. The Titans always just promote from within or whatever. Well, they promoted from within when things were kind of working, right? Like, I mean, even when Lafleur was running the offense, the offense wasn't very good, but it was kind of working. It was it was okay for the personnel that they had. Uh, and then when Arthur Smith was was cooking, I mean, the offense was great. It made sense to try to keep continuity and keep this thing going. Um, but now with the offense clearly broken. Um, and you know, whether it's irredeemably broken or not, or if it was just a, you know, Todd Downing problem, I don't know that they can take the risk of trying to find out, uh, if Tim Kelly was, you know, a part of the problem or not. I mean, I, to me, I think it makes sense just to get a totally different set of eyes on this thing and go in a new direction, even if it is schematically similar, like, like we've been talking about, if it is schematically similar, but you know, fresh idea on play calling, maybe some fresh ideas as far as how they use motion, uh, which they were like one of the NFL's just cavemen franchises uh, over the last few years, as far as like players in motion at the time the ball is snapped and things like which that. Which is insane that. because that is Ryan Tannehill's bread and butter. Right. Which, I mean, it's like those little things that have been proven to, to give teams edges uh, over the last few years and that, you know, smart teams are picking up on. You know, the Titans just haven't uh, used that. And even their play action usage dropped, you know, considerably over the last couple of years. So getting maybe some new ideas, fresh approaches to the same overall scheme would be a good thing, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I, think you're, I think you're right on. And I just don't think it's Tim Kelly. I just don't think there's anything about him from all the reports and everything you hear. You know, Joe Rexford saying that his title as passing game coordinator is just like a kind of like an over the pants hand job by Mike Vrabel <laughs> for his agent just doing his buddy a favor. Like to me, it's just like it's, you know, there's nothing there, you know, as as what it is for what everybody thought, myself included, that A, that Tim Kelly should have been 
promoted within this season. Now I'm thoroughly convinced, man, I was sure was an idiot for thinking that. I also wrote an extensive article about what can you expect from Tim Kelly? That didn't work out either. And and now you hear after the offseason, more and more information comes out and you start piecing everything logically together. It just seems like he was just kind of there just to be there and hope that he got the stat, stat pad his resume with another title, hoping that this next cycle he'd be off the team and be like getting some more offensive coordinator talk. Because the wording on the tweet by Jeremy Fowler is they've talked to him about the offensive coordinator position. They didn't interview him. They just got to talk to him about it. And I think that's another tweet by an agent and by the team saying, hey, let's try to get this guy a job elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like. I think there's some of that that goes on. And look, you know, I, I think we've got to be careful sometimes about assuming things about what coaches' responsibilities are because, you know, he has the passing game coordinator title, but, like, by all reports, it does not sound like he had, like, a huge hand in the in the passing game design or, you know, like, like PK reported consistently throughout the season that he was never with Ryan Tannehill or the quarterbacks, which you would think no. the passing game coordinator would be during practice. He was always with the tight end. So it was like, he was a, a glorified, highly play, highly paid uh, tight ends coach for this team, um, which is kind of crazy, but um, sometimes things like that happen. And, and that's the other thing with all these coaches I hate I, I I hate the idea of, and this is the same thing people do with the GM stuff. You look at oh, uh, well this guy coached this player, so he must be really good because that player is really good. Sometimes players are just really good, and more time more often than not, it is hey if the player's really good, it's because the player's just really fucking good. Uh, now the coach can help him, you know, put him in a position to succeed and and learn good practice habits and maybe, you know, improve technique and things like that. That's all great. Um, but we shouldn't always give the credit for like, hey, Nick Bosa's a badass pass rusher. His uh, defensive line coach must be amazing. Now, Chris Kersek is, but uh, that's not necessarily why Nick Bosa is a badass pass rusher is because Nick Bosa is a badass pass rusher. <laughs> that's why he was, uh, you know, the number one overall pick. So it's... um I think we've got to be careful when we're looking at these guys' backgrounds. You know, it's easy to just go to, oh, well, he was the Falcons quarterbacks coach the last two years, and the Falcons quarterbacks sucked the last two years. He must be a terrible coach. Yeah, he was working with a, like, 40-year-old Matt Ryan and then, you know, Marcus Mariota and rookie Desmond Ritter. I mean, like, let's let's have some let's have some understanding of what the coach's responsibilities are as position coach. And also – being a good position coach doesn't always mean you'll be a good offensive coordinator. Being a good coordinator doesn't mean you're always a good position coach. So that is another thing that I think we have to be careful of. Like this guy might be a whiz when it comes to schemes, but you know, he's just not as good a position coach for whatever reason. Like, so I, I think we have to understand that like these coaching jobs are all different and just, you aren't just a good coach or a bad coach and you're good at all jobs or you're bad at all jobs. It is, Highly specialized, different different types of coaches for different types of roles, um, and I think that's something that we've always got to keep in mind with these coaches, coaching searches, and attaching ourselves to candidates and things like that. The Tennessee Titans will have an offensive coordinator by when, Mike? At the earliest. The earliest, I would say, like maybe later this week. You know, I think yeah. it's possible you could see. You know, if they've decided on somebody, 
you know, they tend to do these things like on Fridays. I feel like, I don't know. The Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator will be. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Justin Houghton. Okay. I'm going, I'm going Charles London. Okay. Here, here's the next question. How much did Mike Vrabel kind of throw some barbs and digs at Keith Carter at this last press conference? Because he specifically talks about teaching players how to block and making sure not to just uh, pigeonhole players, for lack of a better term, because uh, I'm not going to be able to say it verbatim, but some paraphrasing. Seems like a lot of digs thrown Keith Carter's way, who we know from Taylor Lewan was a little too tough for that 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 strong man that Taylor Lewan. He's a little too tough on him, a little hard on him. You know, it's, does like his to be kicked in the ass. He likes a pat on the back when he does stuff wrong. Um, but it seemed like Vrabel kind of echoed similar things about versatility by making sure that these players know how to block, know the system trying to teach them and coach them up and putting them in the best position and not just saying, just sounds to me like Dylan Radins as a guard was all Keith Carter. Now here's my thing with this. Mike Vrabel is the fucking head coach. Either he's at fault for one of two ways. He put too much trust in Keith Carter and his evaluation and his ability and talents to coach up and properly evaluate his own players, or he agreed with Keith Carter. So I ask you, did you pick up on those vibes that he was pretty much like Keith Carter was going to be gone no matter if Todd Downing was gone or not? 100%. And and like, that wasn't even the comment that I thought was the biggest dig at, at Carter. The one where he goes, I, I can't remember what the question was, but his answer was essentially, look, this was my first time hiring uh offensive line coach or first time building a staff and you know i i feel like i'm in a much better place now for understanding you know that the offensive line coach needs to be able to support the offensive coordinator and and things like that to me that was like a direct shot at like yeah i fucked up like it was basically him saying I, yeah i fucked up hiring i let lafleur bring tell me to bring in keith carter and i kept him on way too long yeah, and then he kept him on through, you know, other offensive coordinators that maybe he didn't, you know, jive as well with. Um, but Carter definitely was like I mean, he's definitely like a drill sergeant type of coach. Like he was your old school football uh, you know, junction boys kind of coach. I mean, I, I I used to go to practice and I would stand there and watch the offensive line drills and I mean, he would, you know, he was by far the most like I guess aggressive and loud as far as like correcting guys and, and, you know, really like pushing guys in practice, which is not always a bad thing. Um, but you gotta be able to like, you gotta be able to do a little bit of a dance with that. Like I think Lawan is right to some degree that like, you can't be a hard ass 100% of the time or, or people are just going to tune you out after a while. I think that's, that's what happens with some of these coaches who, you know, have like a high burnout rate in college where they'll be great for, you know, two or three years. But then, you know, by the time they're hitting year four, year five, they, they start to dwindle. I think it's because the message just gets stale and, and people don't eventually, eventually if you're not making, you know, positive deposits into the relationship, 
you can't always just be kicking them out, kicking their ass and, and, you know, doing withdrawals from the relationship. Like it's, it's kind of the way I look at it. And like, to me, it seems like Keith Carter was very much just, I'm going to kick your ass and tell you how bad you suck and ride you constantly. Um, and never, never give you the pats on the back or never give you like, you know, any, or show any sort of, you know, love your way at any point. And that does get old after a while, especially in a work environment that you're going to every single day uh, and things like that and living your life. So we've all had hard ass bosses before. Like I'm not saying Luan should be pitied or anything like that, but I do think hard ass bosses, I didn't like working for them either. Like I, and I don't need a whole lot of pats on the back, but I don't need anybody yelling and spitting in my face either. Uh, you know, just civilly tell me what I need to do and and I'll do it. Um, I did say when Keith Carter was hired that he was too small and too skinny for the position. And I feel, I feel like that goes a long way. Your offensive line coaches need to have some girth and some height to them. They need some meat on the bones. I just don't think it was because even like, if you look at Justin Otten, you know, he's, he kind of looks like Ben Jones. Like you you take away, you look at him, he looks like Ben Jones. I feel like you need some girth when you're an offensive line coach to be successful. I agree. I mean, I, and I do think there's something to like the offensive line is kind of a unique fraternity. Yeah. Um, you know, these you are look guys like that, me. You're, you're one of us, right? You're one of us, you know? And I think that's why, you know, Lawan had such a great relationship with Russ Grimm, who he talks about all the time. And I, I don't know that Russ Grimm was really a very good offensive line coach. Oh, people love talking about Russ Grimm. And I, I think that he was, he was pretty good. Up to a point, I, I think he was just towards the end. Mike Munchak is what you need. Yeah, That's he's you... the ideal. Or, or like, you know, just find your version of Jeff Stoutland, who's the, yeah. the Eagles offensive line coach and is probably the best offensive line coach going in the NFL. Like, the Patriots for a long time had Dante Scarnecchia. Um, and, like, finding those guys, you know, uh, Bill Callahan is another one who is proven elite offensive line coach. Those guys are honestly worth their weight in gold because they can churn good offensive lines out of like almost anything. Um, and it is really impressive what some of these guys are able to do as far as just like taking guys and molding them. Um, and to me, that is that is almost on par with offensive coordinator, honestly, like how important that position is. I, I think Yes. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, offensive line coach are the three most important sub head coach positions. And then on, I would do secondary coach, which the Tennessee Titans yeah. have hired Chris Harris, I guess. Well, uh, maybe, kind <laughs> maybe. of. They've kind agreed of. to hire him. Uh, I do want to get to one comment uh, from Kenneth Crawl. Wait, didn't y'all want Keith Carter promoted OC? Well, if you were listening to the beginning, or not really the beginning, I guess in the middle, like 20 minutes ago, we specifically said just because you're a bad coordinator or position coach doesn't mean you're going to be a bad offensive coordinator. And I still hold true that time point in time. I'd much rather have Keith Carter and given him a shot over someone that was a retread like Todd Downing. But my specific comments about him being too small was back when he was hired back in 2018. So that, that is a totally two different timelines right there. And, and I don't think Keith Carter did a terrible job right at the outset. I, I just think, like I said, his his act kind of wore thin with that group. Right. And it was a veteran group. Um, and I think that that kind of eventually they just kind of tune that stuff out and it becomes harder to coach them and it just becomes a tougher relationship. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of think that's what happened with him. I don't I don't know that he's a bad coach necessarily. I just no. don't think he's he was the right fit to stay here uh, anymore. Right. 
Um, because there's not many coaches. I, I I would tend to think that Russ Grimm definitely wouldn't have succeeded with that coaching or that position uh roster that uh Keith Carter had this year. Munchak, maybe Munchak has been able to get out a lot more out of some scrubs than I feel like Russ Grimm has over his career. But I I I it's kind of like how I felt about John Robinson. I thought he would get another year, but now that he's fired, I don't I'm not surprised and I'm not pounding the table that the Titans made a wrong move. That's that's kind of how I view Keith Carter. I would give anything for them to be able to bring Munchak back, by the yes. way. I, I don't know if he would come back. I think he lives in Denver now, and I believe his maybe his daughter lives there or something like that, and he's like attached to the Denver just area. Just have now. another kid. You know, but, I mean just yeah. have you know, yeah. just have another one. He needs a Nashville kid. Yeah. Um it's, it's a short flight. It's it's no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. All right, that will do it for us. Um Mike, tomorrow you're going to be writing about the offensive coordinator position and its search. I'll be writing specifically about Charles London and um, Justin Otten. You are going to be at paulkarski.com. I'm going to be at stackingtheinbox.substack.com. Don't forget, all next week, me and Stoney Keeley will be at the Senior Bowl. There will be all kinds of content. Make sure you turn on notifications for my Twitter account, at FWordsPod his Twitter account at Stony Keeley. And then there's also at Sobros network. I should have probably looked that one up, but just search Sobros network on Twitter. Look at that. Turn on your notifications for 440 sports because we'll be doing a football show at different times next week, just because of when senior bowl practice ends. There'll be all kinds of senior bowl content from both uh, myself and Stony Keeley on our respective websites. On top of all that, I have been learning from a former offensive line coach, how to look, and what to look for for offensive linemen during these drills. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up in my game, up in my scouting game. Maybe I'll, you know, run into Rand Carthon down there, and, you know, maybe I can talk him into maybe giving me a trial run in the analytics department, and maybe I can get convince Mike to drop everything and also join me there. But you can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at EffortsPod. We're brought to you by Jasper's Nashville, two-for-one on Sundays. Great brunch, great dinner, great lunch. They got everything that you need. Happy birthday to Huxley. Today is his fifth birthday. Congratulations on your new dog. This has been Football and Other F-Words, and you have just been effed. 